So we're going to think about that resurrection of Jesus this morning. Let me get you to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, page 961. And if you would please stand. I'm going to read verses 29 to 34. Paul writes, Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our, our, our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, please send your sovereign spirit powerfully upon us. Pry open our cold, resistant, distracted hearts and give us grace that we might hear your word, Father. Believe it, obey it, and rejoice in it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Um, it's still Easter, so indulge me. Uh, let's say a uh, greeting. I, I, I'm tempted to get Blake to say it in Russian. I've, I've heard it in Russian. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, let's say the Easter greeting, and Christians around the world are saying these words to one another on this Lord's Day morning. Uh, I'll begin, Alleluia, Christ is risen. You respond, He is risen indeed. Alleluia. All right? Brothers and sisters, Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia. Ask Him to say it in Russian. It really is powerful to uh, hear. Uh, Alleluia, Christ is risen. That, that is a, a bold proclamation that we share this Lord's Day morning. And let me tell you, that proclamation has stirred generations of Christians to leave the comforts of home, to leave everything they've ever known, to go and take the gospel to the nations, to the world. Uh, if you look on uh, page number nine in the bulletin, You'll see our Easter notes. Uh, we've run this a couple of times this Easter season. Uh, look at the very top one. It says, mission is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our mission in life is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus' resurrection is the foundation of our mission in this life. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that Paul is writing about here in 1 Corinthians 15 that gives us the courage, the boldness, the willingness, and the desire to proclaim the good news of the resurrected Christ to the desperately, desperately needy world in which we live. It's just as needy today as it ever has been, and in some ways it feels even needier. It feels as though there's, maybe because there's so much information, we know so much, uh, there's a desperate need for the gospel. In Russia and right here at home, there's a need for the gospel of Jesus. And it's actually that which stirs Paul. Uh, Paul is not writing here 
some kind of doctrinal statement. Um, he's actually writing to a church that was being distracted from its mission. It had gotten into this debating mindset, and uh, it was a fairly affluent church. It had a lot going for it. And so 1 Corinthians is Paul coming in to sort of referee, trying to help this gifted, prosperous, influential church to come back to the gospel. Uh, that's actually where he begins in chapter 15, verse 1. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. We need to be reminded of the gospel because we tend to forget the gospel. We tend to get distracted by all kinds of things, some pretty good things. And all too easily, we can, we can move further and further and further away from the gospel, turn our attention further and further away from the mission that Christ has entrusted to us, and we can wind up, as the Corinthian church did, becoming less and less and less the tool of grace that God intended the church to be. So, Paul is writing this letter uh, in this chapter to a church that had a lot going for it, but that was very distracted. And in verses 29 to 34, he's focusing on an aspect of that problem. <coughs> in verse 29, got to tell you, this, this is the part that our guest preacher last Sunday, Chuck Garriott, was referring to. Uh, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? Uh, that was the part of this passage that Chuck jokingly said, uh, Bill will deal with next Sunday. Um, Blake, would you please come forward and explain that passage to us? If anybody could do it with a great deal of confidence, it's, it's Blake. Uh, he could come up and give us a convincing answer. I, I've got to tell you, that is a perplexing passage. Uh, I was told by a scholar who studied this that there are about 36 different interpretations of that passage. Uh, I can think of probably 37. Uh, it's, it's a very interesting passage. It's the only reference to anything like this. Uh, Paul doesn't commend it. He simply says it as an example of something that makes no sense apart from the resurrection of Jesus. So let's not allow that to distract us very much. Paul is not commending it. Unlike our Mormon friends, Paul nowhere says you should baptize in behalf of the dead or for the dead, uh, sort of uh, taking baptism in their behalf. It happens, but it is not something Paul commends. It's not something that is described anywhere else. Uh, and as I say, the interpretation varies widely in terms of what Paul might have been talking about. Basically, Paul says, if that happens somewhere, as it perhaps did in Corinth, then it makes no sense apart from the rest I'm about to say. So let's focus on the main point that Paul is making. He says, if the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Verse 30, why are we in danger every hour? Paul's saying, if there, if there is no resurrection from the dead, why do I do what I'm doing? If it didn't happen, why would I be willing to risk my life every hour? He actually says in verse 31, I die every day. He risks his life every day. He's endured hardship, persecution, suffering. That's his real point. If, if he can't be sure of the resurrection of Christ, then his mission and all mission makes no sense. If it's merely an ethical system, then it makes no sense. 
And he's going to go on to say more about it. A learned friend of mine uh, who studied this passage uh, as a preacher that I value very, very much. His name is Dick Lucas. He's the pastor of a big church, in, uh, or he was the pastor of a big church in London. And uh, when getting ready for this morning's sermon, I looked back in the online uh, resources at his former church, St. Helens Bishop's Gate, church is very, very dear to me. And I went to their long list of 11,000 sermons, and I just entered in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 29 to, to uh, 34, and I was delighted to find a sermon from my friend Dick Lucas preached on May 11th, 1971, okay, 51 years ago this week, and I listened to his sermon, it, you, you'd be interested, it's exactly 20 minutes long, he, he was a master, it is a master at preaching for 20 minutes, a skill I'm trying to learn, um, <laughs> But in these 20 minutes, as I listened to this sermon preached 51 years ago, I was struck by how timely, how incredibly timely Dick's sermon was. And as he preached on this very passage 51 years ago, he pulled out two points. And I want to share them with you this morning. I think he got it exactly right. My friend Dick Lucas, 51 years ago, pointed out that what Paul is actually saying here can really be boiled down to two different things, two different main lessons. Number one, the loss of Christian belief leads to a loss of Christian character, behavior. And the second point, a loss of Christian behavior leads to a loss of Christian belief. Think about those two points in this short paragraph uh, what is Paul actually saying? It's nothing to do with being baptized on behalf of the dead. It has everything to do with the resurrection of Jesus and the Christian belief in the resurrection of Jesus. So let me begin with Dick's first point. Loss of Christian belief leads to loss of Christian behavior. Paul actually says uh, in uh, the second half of verse 32, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Uh, his point is, not only is Christian mission nonsense in a world in which the resurrection is untrue, in a world in which Christian belief is untrue, not only uh, is Christian mission impossible and makes no sense, but actually Christian behavior itself makes no sense. Why live a Christian life? Why struggle to repent of sin? Why struggle to, to live a life that follows God's call to holiness? Why do that? Why not, as he says, instead, just eat and drink and be merry if there is no resurrection, if there is no truth to the gospel claims that we proclaim? That's a very, very good question. And one of the things that was so prescient about Dick's sermon 51 years ago was how exactly right he was. What he pointed out 51 years ago was that as Christian belief waned, as, as we backed away from the claims of the gospel, as we backed away specifically from the claims of the resurrection of Christ, as we, as we put those elements of Christian belief which have been so foundational to our faith, as we move further and further away from those central claims, what actually happens is there's this degeneration in our behavior, in the way we live. And he was commenting on it in 1971. 
commenting on the deterioration of life in London. His church was in London. He was commenting on the deterioration of Christian morals, how far away the church had moved. As it let go of belief, it had let go of behavior, and the church was becoming more and more confused. Well, I don't have to tell you, if that was true in 1971, and I believe it was, how much more so is it true today? How much more have we moved away from any idea of Christian morality, any idea of heeding God's call to holiness? We've moved further and further and further away. Uh, People today are so confused around morality and behavior and how people are meant to live their lives. Our presbytery hosted a pre-presbytery seminar here in this room uh, last Friday, uh, a week ago this past Friday, and the room had uh, clergy from all over our presbytery and ruling elders and deacons and others who came to to think about this question about sexuality. We're all aware of the deterioration in Christian teaching around the whole issue of sexuality. We've gotten massively confused, and I mean in the church there's confusion. There's a lot of confusion. Blake was telling the story about one of the things happening in Russia that the Russian government is is exploiting to promote their propaganda in Russia to promote the war that is happening in Ukraine. They're pointing to the deterioration of morals in the West, the deterioration specifically of morals here in our country. Our confusion And our lack of moral conviction and our lack of understanding on even basic morality has been turned into a tool against us in other parts of the world. And brothers and sisters, it won't be the last time. If you really want to look at what motivates so much of the antagonism against our country and against our way of life and against our whole culture, it's very often because other people in the world look at our deteriorating morals our deteriorating behavior, the way we've gotten so messed up, and all they have to do is simply turn to other people in the room and say, we don't want that. We're willing to fight against that. It's a terrible situation as Christian behavior is degenerated. And Dick's point 51 years ago, and I think still today, is that that deterioration in Christian behavior actually has in its foundation a deterioration in Christian belief. It's not a coincidence that in my lifetime, the church has in so many places let go of the central truths of the gospel. We've let go of those central truths. I came from a denomination, uh, many of you did as well, uh, where we had let go of those central truths. There were bishops in the Episcopal Church, which I was a part of and still love, who said the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen in a physical sense. It was, it was some sort of mythological category. It, was, it didn't really happen. And as they, under, uh, as they wore down and and undercut the belief in the resurrection, they undercut the belief in the scriptures. They undercut the belief of God's sovereign authority to call us to holiness. And as that was happening, surprise, surprise, 
Our culture was weakened in its understanding of morals and its understanding of how Christians are called to live. And so in these years in between now and then, and between then and now, we've seen our culture get more and more and more confused. It's a terrible situation. Loss of Christian belief leads to loss of Christian behavior. So we let go of the truth of the resurrections, we let go go of the truth of the scriptures, then no surprise we see a loss of Christian understanding about behavior. People get confused. Paul knew that. And as Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, he challenged them. He challenged them. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If there is no resurrection, then we have no argument against those things. If there is no resurrection of the dead, if Christ isn't truly raised, then why should we listen to anything else Jesus had to say? Why should we listen to anything else the Bible says? If those central truths are not true, as Paul says, if he was lying, then people are perfectly understandable in not listening to us. So Paul underscores to them, and I want to underscore to us how important it is that we stay true to what we believe about Christ's resurrection and about the claims of God's sovereign word, that we do not back away from it one small step. That doesn't answer every question about how we deal with the moral confusion that we actually experience. We, we see that in the world around us. That doesn't answer every question about that, but it certainly underscores how important it is that we remain clear and united and committed to proclaiming the truth of Christ's resurrection and the truth of every word that we receive from God's sovereign word. So loss of Christian belief leads to loss of Christian behavior. Secondly, conversely, loss of Christian behavior leads to loss of Christian belief. I, I thought this, this was a point I hadn't really understood until I heard Dick preach about this. He used as an example, he said there was a, a big building across the street from his church in London. It's in one of the oldest parts of London. It's in the Wall Street area of London, the Wall Street of the UK. Very, a very old church, been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. Well, across the street from his church was a Victorian building, several here, several, a uh, couple of hundred years old, a very old building, very big building. And I guess at the time that he was preaching in London, that big building had been torn down to make way for what is now a towering skyscraper. And I guess they were building it at that time. And so he commented, he said, you know, we, we here at St. Helens have looked out our window and watched as that building has been torn down. He said, Christian morality is not like that. It doesn't all come down at once. He said, uh, imagine that... 40 years ago, uh, a builder or someone involved with tearing down the building took one brick out every day. He took one brick out of this massive brick building across the street from the church. Took one brick out day after day after day after day. And writing in 1971, he said it, it would very likely be many years later now, one day someone will come in and take one last brick out, what will happen? 
the whole building collapses. He said, that's the way it is with Christian morality, Christian understanding about, about life and, and our call to holiness. It's like that. It's, it doesn't happen suddenly. It happens over a long period of time, but he says there comes a point where that last brick comes out and the whole structure collapses. Now, he was writing that in 1971. <laughs> I think we're living today to see, man, that, that structure is wobbly. Just one, one more thing and it crashes. what he's talking about in verse 33 do not be deceived bad company ruins good morals wake up from your drunken stupor be reminded of the gospel wake up realize that loss of Christian behavior loss of commitment to Christian moral teaching and the the ideas of the Christian life which we've inherited that Loss of Christian behavior leads to loss of Christian belief. People will move further and further and further away from a gospel that they can see has no implications in our lives. As we become less and less uh, consistent in our witness, less and less consistent in the way we live our lives, our witness deteriorates and uh, the Christian belief which we proclaim becomes shallower and shallower and more and more empty. And that's, again, exactly what's happened. As our commitment to Christian morality has deteriorated, so has our effectiveness in proclaiming the gospel. More and more it's become irrelevant to the world. Um, I gave us a sermon title, uh, Stop Sinning, uh, I owe that to Steve Withers, who sent me a Bob Newhart uh, skit. Some of you all know the Bob Newhart skit, where some people were coming to Bob Newhart, a comedian, and they kept saying, well, I have this problem and this problem and this problem. And every time Bob Newhart's answer was, stop doing that. Uh, stop, stop it. Don't do that anymore. Stop. Stop doing that. Whatever the problem was, they would just come in. And over and over again, Bob Newhart, who was playing a therapist in the skit, he said the answer is to stop it. Well, actually, stop sinning is what the NIV translates verse 34. He says, do not go on sinning. The NIV, which Dick actually preached from, the text for that passage, do not go on sinning, is stop sinning. Stop sinning. There, there is a great deal of truth in that. We've, we've allowed sin to get so complex in our heads and we've gotten so confused that so often we miss the simple message. Stop doing the behaviors that are destroying you. Now, I'm a child of my age as much as you are. I, I realize that stop sinning is not all that needs to be said. <laughs> we live in a complex world. We have very difficult choices. We have, we're the fruit of our life experience. But there is a sense in which do not go on sinning is exactly what we need to hear. Do not go on sinning. Uh, the, the, the verbs here in, in Greek, which this book was originally written down in Greek, 
mean don't go on in this habitual behavior of sin. Don't allow yourself to go on in that way of living, that way of behaving. Live in the power of the resurrection. Live in the power of the gospel. Don't allow yourself to continue in this pathway of destruction. I'm putting it sort of in 2022 terms. It's sort of like get out of the sin express lane. Don't live your life in the sin express lane. Pat the brakes. Pull over. Stop. Heed God's call. Use the resurrection power of Jesus to enter into what Chuck talked about last week, which is this life of repentance. It does not mean that our temptations or our struggles go away. It never meant that. Paul talks about his struggles. He talks about uh, all kinds of struggle in his life. So don't allow what I'm saying now to take away from how challenging this is. But let's also not lose sight of how simple this is in some ways. It really means choose to live your life today in light of what you believe about Jesus and his resurrection. I think that's one of the big problems for us is a lot of us at the level of of belief have actually moved away from any conviction that the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to me right now and available to us. It's not simply a sentence in the creed or a sentence in the uh, Westminster Confession. It is our belief. It is the same confidence which moves us to mission. That same confidence moves us towards repentance. Towards turning around and moving not away from God but moving towards God. Paul says... For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. See, what happens is as we move further and further away from the claims of the gospel, as we move further and further away from our Christian belief, as we let go of our Christian behavior, then what actually happens is we lose the knowledge of God, what he's really like. We might be left with the word for a while, That may be part of that superstructure that's sort of wobbling. We might be left with the word, but what happens is we lose any knowledge of him to our shame. To our shame. We lose any functioning knowledge of God as we let go of our belief, as we let go of the call to Christian holiness which the Bible contains. And that is indeed to our shame. Brothers and sisters, uh, it's Easter season. We've got a couple more Sundays of Easter. We'll be moving into Pentecost before you know it when we think about the resurrection power displayed in Pentecost, displayed in the work of the Holy Spirit. But this season of Easter, my prayer for you as it is for me and my family is that we will grow in understanding the power of the resurrection of Jesus. And starting next Sunday, we'll look specifically at the resurrection body and the difference it makes for us. But today, I challenge you, I encourage you to take seriously the resurrection power to live a life more honoring to God, a life more pleasing to Him, a life more aligned with Christ, a life 
in which we live out in our behavior what we believe about Christ. We live that out in the repentant life, the life not of perfection, but of repentance, true, humble repentance. Well, uh, please bow your heads with me as we pray that God would help us to do that. Father, it's interesting to think that what Paul wrote about 2,000 years ago was true in 1971, and what was true in 1971, Father, is true today. We have moved further and further away from our knowledge of you. As we've let go, Father, of, of our belief in the resurrection of Christ and who he is and what he has done, as we've moved away from those things, Father, our lives have become more and more and more confused Less and less a reflection of the holiness to which you have called us. And Father, as we've let go of that call to holiness, so we have let go of our belief. So we have let go of our confidence in the gospel. Father, I pray that here at MetroCrest, your spirit would fill us with renewed confidence in the resurrection. Renewed confidence in the claims of Christ. And Father, that that would move us to have lives that reflect him that we would live our lives boldly, that we would live our lives confidently. And Father, that we would live our lives missionally, that we really would be those who boldly proclaim Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.